So we're in our, our series, I said, called Restful, how to, how, to live, uh, how, to, how to Live Restful in a Restless World. And if you're brand new to Core Church, uh, you've come at a good time because we are in what we call our Core Values series. And once a year during our anniversary, we like to kind of look at who we are as a church, what we're about, what we're trying to do. And so this is a great time for you to figure out what is Core Church, what are we about? And we have four core values. These are the things that drive us. This is what we're about. This is the difference we're trying to make in this world. And we'll put them on the screen. I want us to say these together. What are they there? Hope for the heart, healing for the soul, peace of mind, and purpose in the world. Now, these do not come out of a hat. We did not make these up at random. These are actually come out of Scripture. A great place, by the way, to get any thoughts you have about life is out of the Scriptures, okay? We get ourselves in trouble when we don't go to the Scriptures. you got to start there. And we did. And in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing in life? Great question. We all ask that question, what am I supposed to be doing? And Jesus took over 600 laws, 600 things that, that God was asking his people to do, and he narrowed it down to basically these four things. And it's this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And oh, by the way, second is also a really good idea, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And this is where we get our mission as a church, where we say all the time that we exist to help you and help people in this world to find the hope, the healing, the peace, and the purpose of Jesus. That's what it is all about. And so in this series, when we talked about rest full of hope, today I want to talk to you about resting full of healing. So if you have a Bible, let's go to uh, Psalm chapter 6. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Uh, I would encourage you to download Version. It's a great app. And I read out of what's called the New Living Translation. So if you're on the app, Look for the NLT, so you, otherwise it's not going to make sense. You'll be like, these words are not matching up, and it's because I read out of the New Living Translation. This is a psalm of a guy named David. So if you're brand new to church, David was the king of Israel. He's the guy who killed Goliath, and he wrote most of the psalms, which we know are poems, and they are, they are songs. And, and we don't know a lot about this one. We just know that David was having a really difficult time and he was very, very repentant for something that was going on in his life. He was very remorseful for some decisions he had made or some wrongs that he had done in his life. And so this was his prayer. And then he thought this prayer was so important that he gave it as a gift to the nation of, of Israel. And that's why we have it as a psalm, because David said, this is a really good prayer for anybody to pray when it comes to repentance and forgiveness. And here's what it says. Oh, Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your rage. Have compassion on me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. I am sick at heart. How long, O oh Lord, until you restore me? Return, O oh Lord, and rescue me. Save me because of your unfailing love. For the dead do not remember you. Who can praise you from the grave? And listen to this, I am worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with tears. Maybe that was you just last night. Or maybe you've been in that place before where you're, it's just killing you and eating you up on the inside. It says, my vision is blurred by grief. My eyes are worn out because of all my enemies. God, go away, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord will answer my prayer. So people are, what's happening here is people are mocking him because of his sin. He's the king, and they're mocking him. They like know what he's done, and so they're attacking him because of the things that he has done. Anybody ever been there? Amen. 
Like it's bad enough, I'm hard enough on myself. I don't need everyone else being hard on me as well. May all my enemies be disgraced and terrified. May they suddenly turn back in shame. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for worship today. Thank you for the healing you've already brought into this room. We thank you that in this moment, your spirit is moving all across this room. And we accept that and we open up our hearts to you to hear from you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Well, there is a lot going on in our world right now, um, and it's very, very tense. So honestly, today, I just want to kind of keep things light and cheerful, if that's okay. And I want to talk about masks and politics. All right, so... <laughs> we have family in town uh, because uh, um, my father-in-law, Russell Larson, passed away 91. He's with Jesus we had the memorial service yesterday. By the way, uh, on behalf of Laura's mom, Laura and myself, you guys have just blessed us overwhelmingly. Your love, the meals, the cards, uh, it's just been incredibly overwhelming. We have so much, we have, so we have family that's come into town. And, I, and those of you who know me, I'm not really into politics. So I know some of you are you're like, that's your jam, okay? You're like, that is your jam. That's not mine. I really don't care. I mean, I care, but I don't care. Does that make sense? Like, and, he, and this is why, because I, I know that whoever gets elected um, is not going to determine my destiny, and my hope is not built on an election. My hope is built on the foundational principles of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe that he is sovereign over all things, okay? Come on. So I don't get caught up in it, and neither should you. But um, some people do, right? And especially family. Like, you don't talk about politics when family come around, unless you're me. I just love to stir the pot. I, I like to toss it like a grenade in the middle of the table and watch my family explode. It's just, it's sick, but I love to do it. Uh, like, and here's why. Because we have people, it's so diverse, the political views. We have people from California, Colorado, Texas and Missouri all at the same table. So I'll just, like, I'll sit at the table and I'll go, you know, guys, it's election coming up in a few weeks. I'm just so grateful that Donald Trump has made America great again. <laughs> or I'll do the opposite of that. I'll go, you know, this election coming up, I'm so thankful for Joe Biden and how he's working for unity and diversity in our country. It is, it's sick, but it is fun. Oh, man, and we can get angry, though. And I know right now, even as I said some that, you're all like, ooh, I can't believe he said that. Oh, man, you just see me. I can even see the steam coming through your mask right now. You're so angry. Uh, and then there's masks. Let's talk about masks, shall we? I mean, you know, everybody's mad about masks. We're all mad. Let's just be honest. Just turn to somebody and say, I'm mad. I'm angry. I'm mad. And it's okay. Whether you are an anti-masker or you're pro-mask, it doesn't matter. I just, but I love the people that go into the store where they require us to wear masks and they are just defiant because they're so angry, so they're wearing their mask, not here, but here. You know those people? They got it like right here, just because they're like, I got it on. I saw a guy the other day, I kid you not, he had it on his forehead. <laughs> he had it on his forehead and he's just walking around like this, like, what? And then some lady walked by him and he went, I mean, it's just, we just get so angry 
about Matt. I, I'm not so much about that. I tell you what, you know what gets me? The plexiglass. I don't like, because I can't hear you. I can't hear you through your mask, first of all, because it's not. And then you add the glass in front of it. So what do we all do when we're standing there like, what? What do we all do? We lean around the glass, pull your mask down. I'm sorry, what were you saying? So I just started carrying a screwdriver with me. I'm just like. All right, now, what were you saying? Thank you, get my receipt. And then I'm gone. I mean, we just, we, we're very mad right now. It's very, a lot of anger right now in, in our country. You ever wonder, you ever wonder what makes God angry? I can tell you this. I, I don't think it's mask in politics. Now, I know when I say that, for, for some of you, if not many of you, you're like, wait a second, does, I thought God doesn't get angry. I, I, God gets angry? I don't think God gets angry. I mean, because God's, God's full of grace. He's full of mercy. He's, he's compassionate. Like, uh, w- w- I'm, I'm, I'm confused, Brad. When you look at, at David here in, in Psalm 6, we see that David shows us that, yes, God is compassionate and he's a healing God, but he also talks about God's anger. Look at the very first verse. He says this in verse 1. Oh, Lord, don't rebuke me in your, in your anger or discipline me in your rage. Have what? Compassion on me, Lord, for I am weak. Say this with me. What? Heal me. That's what we're here to talk about today. Heal me. Turn to somebody and tell them God is here to heal you today. God is going to bring some healing in this place today. He's going to heal some thoughts that you have. He's going to heal some ideas that you have. And he's going to heal some souls today. I believe that. And he says this, heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. I am sick at heart. How long, O Lord, until you restore me? So what's David doing here? He's, he's repenting. He's seeking forgiveness. And he understands, that God's, he understands God's anger towards sin. Now, I don't know how you are, but... I think we're all a little uncomfortable with this idea of God being angry. I am, and I'm the pastor. It makes me very uncomfortable to think that God is angry. But I look in the Old Testament, I look in the New Testament, and and it talks about the the anger, the, the wrath, or the rage of God. And I think the reason that we're uncomfortable is because we see God's anger through tainted lenses. I think what happens to us is our perception of God is primarily based on people and surroundings. Like on your home life, whether that is your current home life or or the home you grew up in. Maybe you had an angry parent or you had an angry spouse. I mean, I'm talking about like unhealthy anger or you had a child that had unhealthy anger towards you. Or, or maybe it's, it's in the workplace. You have somebody in the workplace, whether it's a coworker or a boss, and they got that really short fuse, you know what I'm talking about, where they're just going to pop off at any moment. And you're just like, that you see all these different things that are around us that cause us to be tainted about God's anger. Maybe you had a coach. A coach that grabbed your face mask and jerked you around. In football, and you're like, that is your perception, that, that, that's anger. Or let's just take what's happening in our nation right now. Good night. Talk about politics. I mean, just bring up politics, and you see how angry even Christians 
how angry they can be. You watch politicians that are just angry. You see the rioting that's happening in the streets and the violence that's happening in our, and you're like, what is going on? And what happens is all of that taints our view of God's anger. And so what can happen is, in moments like this, is you think, well, you know, God, he's just just angry all the time. He's just never pleased. He's never, God's got a, he's got a short fuse. I I mean, I better, I better watch what I do because then God's just going to pop off on me. He's going to get angry. He's going to get mad at me. And you, maybe you see God as, as maybe abusive. You come from an abusive environment. And so you think God is abusive or you see things that are playing out on television and you think, yeah, God is, God is oppressive. And, and this is who God is. And he's this tyrant and he just can't wait to punish me. That is not who God is. Because that is not in his character. In fact, I think what God says to you in this moment, if you feel that way, he just says this. That is not who I am. Write this down. God's heart is not to hurt me. Some of you need to write that down. God's heart is is not to hurt me. God's heart is to heal me. God's heart is not to hurt me. God's heart is to heal me. And, and to understand God's anger, what we've got to understand is, what's he angry about? What is God angry about? Well, David's son, Solomon, who became king of Israel after David, he wrote a lot of the Proverbs, and in one of the Proverbs, he told us what God is angry about. In fact, he said this in Proverbs chapter 6. He said, six things the Lord hates. Oh, wait a second. No, seven things he detests. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe do you, We all have our list. We all have those, the list of the things that you hate. Like for me, I hate speak text. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where you speak text a message to someone when you're driving, and like you send a message to grandma, and then later you see the message back from grandma, and it says, what, question mark? And you look up, and you go, well, I said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I said that to grandma. No, grandma, no, no, bring it back. You see, you just, if you ever sent that awkward text to somebody, you're like, I did not say that. I said, that is not even close to what I said. I mean, so frustrating. Or here's, my, here's one of mine. Here's one of mine. Um, travel mugs with lids. I don't understand why uh, we can't have a travel mug and a lid stay together. This is from our kitchen table just this week. Has anyone seen this lid? I, mean, I, I don't understand you. you, you the, the lid and the, the cup, and, and they're traveling together. That's why they're called travel mug. And they're traveling together to the dishwasher. Yay! And then somehow they get separated, and now they're on a... On a it's where, how, at what point did the lid and the mug, where did they go? How does that happen? Why do we store lids in a completely... But see, now you can see what makes me angry. So what is it that gets you? I want to I know what gets you. I want you to turn. I want you to share with somebody around you. What's your thing? Like, what's the one thing? Like, this just irritates me. And for some of you, you're with family. This is your opportunity to let them know. Okay? Just a second. Just take that and go. Share with somebody.
Wow. That, you know, I wish you could all be up here and see each other's faces. <laughs> Some of you are like, what? You do do that, and I just, pastor just said I could just let you know. You didn't have to let me know. You're going to need Jesus to forgive you for what you just said. So we all got stuff that angers us. So what is it that angers God? Okay, I got the list here. This is from Proverbs chapter 6, and here are the seven things. Number one, haughty eyes. Two, a lying tongue. Three, hands that kill the innocent. Four, a heart that plots evil. Five, feet that race to do wrong. Six, a false witness that lies. And number seven, people who sow discord. You know what's interesting about that list? Masks and politics are not on there. See, what angers us does not always anger God. You think God gets angry about the things that you're angry about, but that's not always true. God is angry when he sees injustice. God's angry when he sees abuse. Maybe you suffered abuse in your life. I can tell you that angered God. God gets angry when, when he sees people being oppressed or any people group or person being oppressed. It, it angers the heart of God. God gets angry when he sees us deceiving one another. When, somebody, when we do something or somebody does something to take advantage of another person and just, just twist the truth a little bit just to get an edge, that angers God. God gets angry. Why does he get angry? Because you're his child. We are all his children, and it angers him when he sees us treating each other the way in which we treat one another. I get that because I'm a dad, and I have four kids. And I can tell you that if I've ever seen anybody take advantage of my children, abuse my children, it makes me angry. And it doesn't matter if they're 2, 22, or 32, and I got them all that age. They're not all that age right now, but I've had them all that age. And even as adult children, if they tell me stories of ways in which they've been taken advantage of, it just angers me. And if you're a parent, you understand that. Like, it angers you. And what happens is our anger as a parent, it reveals your compassion and your love for your child. And there's times that I get, I would get angry at my children for the way in which they're treating other people. Is that bad? No, that's not bad. It's, I'm angry because I love them, because I want good for them. I want right things to happen in their life. I want love to be poured out on them and through them. And your heavenly Father is no different. He loves you. And it makes him angry when he sees us being mistreated or sees us mistreating one another. So David says this about the love of God. He says this in verse 4. He says, return to me, O Lord, and what? Say this with me. What? Rescue me. God does not want to hurt you. He wants to rescue you. Save me because of your, here it is, say with me, your what? Unfailing love. Turn to somebody and say, receive God's love today. Receive God's love today. The heart of God is love. He loves you. And he sent Jesus on a rescue mission to come after you and to save you. 
This is, this is what Paul says in his letter to the Romans. He said it this way. God showed his what? Say it with me. Great love for us. Not just love, but great love by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Like he doesn't wait to love you. He doesn't withhold his love. Listen, just be you're like, when you mess up, when you sin against God, he doesn't withhold his love. Well, I don't love you now. Now, that's how we will love one another. God doesn't do that. doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter who you've done it with, when you did it, or what it was. God says, I still love you. Even in your mess and your mistakes and your sin. That is really hard to wrap our heads around because of our preconceived ideas of how love operates. How we have been loved, and truthfully, how we love one another. But that's not how God loves. And this picture of Jesus on the cross, I think, is the greatest display of love. Some, some preachers will say, and you, maybe you've heard this said before, is that it was on the cross that the wrath of God was poured out. Eh, not true. It was on the cross that Jesus held back the wrath of God. It was on the cross that Jesus said, hang on, I'm going to take the sins of every person, past, present, and future. 2,000 years from now, when people are sitting at a church in Broken Arrow, in a seat, those people right there, I'm going to take it upon me, and I'm going to hold back my wrath through my son, and instead, what I'm going to do on that cross I'm going to pour out compassion and mercy and grace and forgiveness. That's a good place to give Jesus some praise and thank him for what he has done for you. David said it this way, Psalm 145, the Lord is merciful and he's compassionate. Say this part with me. He's slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. God's heart is not to hurt us. God's heart is to heal us. What happens, though, is our soul, it gets tarnished and it gets tainted by the sin and the mistakes and the things that we have done, and we need someone to restore our soul because we can't do it ourselves. All of us have tried, and we've failed miserably, have we not? You cannot restore yourself. And write this down. Restoration comes through repentance. Restoration, what we all desire in our lives, restoration comes through repentance. This is one of our core practices. So right now in our core groups, many of you are in in core groups right now, and we have these core practices that help us to live out our core values. And one of those is continual surrender. It's this idea that I am going to continually come before God and I am going to repent. In other words, it's, it's not something I did one time way back here, and I'm good with God. But those of us who follow Jesus here at Core Church, we understand that I am a work in progress. Turn to somebody and tell them, you are a work in progress, my friend. You are a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. I mean, I I need to continually repent. I need to continually come back to God, and I need to surrender. David, in another one of his psalms, Psalm 139, said it this way, point out anything in me that offends you. 
That's what it means to continually surrender. That's what it means to repent. God, what offends you? i got to tell you, for for me, this has been really, really challenging. Because in 2020, I thought I was doing pretty good. I'm embarrassed, but I will tell you, like, as a pastor, I... I wasn't spending a whole lot of time in repentance. I mean, I'd tell God I was sorry. Or I'd have some things where I'd go, man, I, that, was, that was bad. I can't, I should. Here's what I would say. Man, why'd I do that? I, I, I shouldn't do that again. Just short of repentance. I'm just not going to do it again. And in 2020, I started reading the Lord's Prayer, and I felt really challenged in my, in my daily devotions to use the Lord's Prayer. We did that during the uh, eight days of prayer and fasting, and if you ever want to do that, you can go on our website. We have a, the plan on there. It's the one that I use. And part of the Lord's Prayer is forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And so the idea is, is that you, when you're praying through the Lord's Prayer, you come to that part and you let God check your soul. You, do, you let him check you. And uh, I got to tell you, when I started coming to that, I was like, oh. And I really went to this place where I was like, I need to, I kind of need a, a, an idea of, that will help me to process sin and repentance and, and kind of maybe what God, I want to get a full scope of what's happening in my life. I don't know if you've ever heard of the seven deadly sins, but the seven deadly sins are not the ones that Solomon talks about, but they were actually written by a pope, one of the first popes, and he wrote them as a way to help followers of Jesus to process repentance. And I thought, well, oh, I'll try these. I'll give it a shot. And so I, I wrote the seven down. There are things like pride and envy and lust and anger and gluttony. And so I would work through these. And I do this every single day. And you can't rush through it, by the way. <laughs> you can't go real quick through it. And uh, so I came to, like, gluttony, and I just went right through it. I don't struggle with gluttony. I mean, come on. I mean, look at this body. Come on, people. <laughs> this guy ain't got no problem with gluttony. Stop looking because I'm holding this part in. Um, but, I, but God actually said, well, Brad, you sure spend a lot of time on YouTube, Brad. You brag a lot about how you don't watch TV and you don't have Netflix. But you are a glutton on YouTube. Scroll, 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 scroll. 45 minutes later, nothing. And I was like, oh. And he said, why would you waste that time? Now, I know when I say that, some of you are like, ooh, big sinner. Whoa, scrolling YouTube, man, burning hell. I mean, you know, yeah, I get it. I mean, it's YouTube for Pete's sakes. But then, just a couple weeks ago, God stopped me on anger. And he says, like, I'm not really angry, God. And having this conversation, he said, yeah, but you're bitter. And that bitterness has made you angry. And you know who you're angry at. And you know who you're bitter towards. And you keep coming to me, and you keep saying, God, forgive me, but then you keep going back to it. He said, Brad, what I want you to do is kick it out of your life. And I was like, God, how do I do that? And I was like, I was busted. And I had to repent because it's wrong to be bitter. I was like, wow, I am bitter, and I am very angry. I almost hate this person. This is ugly. I don't like this. I don't want to be this. And God said, well, you need to kick it out of your life. Like, you need to get it out of your life. You need to set up a border patrol, Brad, and not let it back in. And what God spoke to me about was that you're letting it back into your thought life, and you're thinking about it. And then it comes into your thought life, and you think about it, and then you start to get bitter again, and then you ask me to forgive you, and then we go round and round and round on this hamster wheel. 
I need you to kick it out of your life. That's when it gets real. That's when repentance gets real. Because sometimes, let's just be honest in church today, we like to be bitter or whatever. I like my pride. I like my envy. I, a little lust here and there ain't hurting nobody. I mean, we have that. But God said, I don't, I, I don't even want you to think about it. When that thought starts to come in, boom, you stop it at the border, set up the border patrol, and coming back in. That's what it looks like in our lives to, to practice continual surrender. It's not a one-time thing. It's an all-the-time thing. I went to the... Uh, doctor a few weeks ago for my um, 10-year checkup, because I'm a guy, and that's how often we go to the doctor for, for our checkups. <laughs> I, I, I mean, seriously, I uh, went, and the doctor was like looking through the chart, and he's like, it's been a while, hasn't it, Brad? And I go, yeah, it has. And he looks at me, and he says, you know, Brad, uh, you know, guys our age, we need to know. I was like, hang on a second. What do you mean guys our age? Because I know how old you look, and I know I don't look that old. And I I was like, am I? Ooh, I do. Oh, okay. And, he's, and he says, you know, hey, you need to be coming and seeing me regularly, and you need to be getting a regular physical. Yeah, right. Like, I'm going to do that. Come on, guys. Men, we know what that means, right? Let's get physical, physical. I don't want to get a physical. Because, men, we know what that means. That's why I come see you once a decade. But he said something that was interesting to me. He said, Brad, if you will come and see me on a regular basis, I can get you down to the five-yard line. I don't know why, but that got my attention. And I was like, why would I not want to finish this life strong? And I was like, I'm going to start doing that. That's that idea of continual surrender. The idea of continual surrender is doing it daily, coming before God daily. And what God says to you right now in this moment, if you will come to me daily... I will get you down to the five-yard line. And let this just kind of serve as a moment of warning to all of you and to me. At my age, I have watched men and women and people who have done things I could have never imagined them doing in their life. Things they regret. I watched people walk away from their faith. I've seen people that were on fire for Jesus and drift slowly from their, faith, from their faith to where they come down near the end. They're not making, they haven't even crossed the 50. They have regressed in their lives to the point where, where has their faith gone to? And their life is in misery and shame and brokenness and frustration and anger and wrapped up in all the things they never thought they would become. And I can tell you, it comes back to that practice of continually surrendering, letting God examine my soul. That's what I love about my father-in-law, Russell Larson, 91 years old. He made it down to the five-yard line. And I'm not talking about 91 and almost making it to 100. That's not what I'm talking about. This is a guy who loved Jesus. I was doing his memorial service yesterday, and, and as I was just reflecting on his life and talking about him, I just realized this is a man who was continually surrendering over and over again to God for 90 years. He didn't do it just one time when he was eight years old. 
Like the process of his life over and over and over again was to surrender to God. Whatever God wanted, whatever God needed, he would come to God and, and those who were closest to him, including his beautiful wife, my mother-in-law Evelyn, would tell you he was no perfect man. He had his flaws, he had things that he'd done in his life that he had regretted, but he was a man who would continually surrender and repent before God and come under the authority of God and look to God for his daily salvation. And because of that, man, he stood proud at the end of his life. And that's what we all desire. That's what we all want. So I want us just in, we're going to sing here in just a moment, but I want us just to stop for a moment and just think and have this moment with God. Would you just bow your heads for just a moment? And God's heart is not to hurt you. God's heart is to heal you. And I want you to just take just a moment right now and let God examine you. Let him point out anything that offends him. God, in this moment, we just invite you to examine our heart, examine our soul, and receive whatever it is that we need from you today. Jesus' name.